0: Welcome to the Sheep Connect New South Wales podcast. It's time for you. a podcast produced for the sheep industry by Sheep Connect New South Wales. Hi, I'm Fiona MacArthur, a network coordinator for Sheep Connect New South Wales. The Sheep Extension Network in New South Wales which is funded by Australian Wool Innovation. Sheep Connect New South Wales has a membership of over 2200 and our main aim is to help keep you and your sheep business up to date on information about all things sheep. Raising crops do require a fair amount of investment and add greater complexity to mixed farming enterprises, but extensive research now sees the market offering many varieties which can offer great opportunities as dual-purpose crops providing feed for livestock and a crop that can then be harvested. In this episode of It's Time For You, I'm joined by Jim Metkiff to explore these opportunities further. Jim is the principal at JM Livestock, a livestock advisory business for sheep, wool, and prime lamb producers. JM Livestock is located at Wagga Wagga in New South Wales, but services clients and projects across Australia. Jim draws on over 20 years of industry experience across many environments and management methods. Jim has also spent 10 years with the New South Wales DPI, Five of those in Armidale, in New South Wales as the District Sheep and Wool Officer. His key interests are EDID, reproduction, breeding and selection industry projects such as the MLP and extension of sheep programs from MLA and AWI such as the Lifetime you Management. Welcome Jim and thank you for joining me on It's Time For You.
1: G'day Fiona, it's nice to be with you.
0: Jim, let's get straight into grazing crops for today. Jim, what are the benefits of grazing tr- crops, or some of them, because I'm sure there's quite a few, to whole farm systems?
1: Yeah, listen, uh, there's locally or, or right across the state, right across southern Australia where these grazing crops are being adopted, uh, the benefits are filling that winter feed gap, and that's the main, the main reason they're on board. But it's also leading to increased carrying capacities and stocking rates, uh, spelling of pastures, creating a really... Valuable feed wedge of pasture for winter, uh, early spring as well. And then there's also the crop management um, options. You know, it just just gives that cropping enterprise a little bit more risk adversity or spread that risk across livestock enterprises as well. Basically, it comes down to more dollars per hectare, Fiona. Well,
0: that's what it's all about, isn't it? <laughs> well, Jim, the, the, <laughs> the season um, this year... Uh, how has it been to help support a successful establishment coming into winter?
1: Yeah terrific we've had uh, good good rainfall storm events good, good widespread rainfall events now uh, people who were prepared you know enterprises prepared with seed fertiliser and equipment ready to go on time and early uh, were able to take advantage of those early February sowing opportunities so you know there's already paddocks out there in this district that are probably about a week off getting livestock on them at you know at the end of March pretty remarkable. Yeah, lots of uh, nitrification occurring in the soils, good moisture, high temperatures. Uh, weed weed and fallow management uh, does take some some planning. Certainly after last year's bumper harvests and high you know, residues, there's probably um, a little bit more stubble to contend with at sowing, but. Yeah, the preparation and timing, mean, getting a nitrogen um, right, that's that's all critical and essential for a, a successful establishment.
0: It's great to see after quite a few tough years that they've, farmers have gone through. Jim, in reflection, what, you've just mentioned nitrogen there, but what else do we need to consider to make sure we can maximise that establishment?
1: Yeah, a, yeah, nitrogen, obviously soil moisture, uh, weeds and fallow management, that's a, that's pretty critical, Fiona. Timing, timing's probably the critical one. Uh, if you get an opportunity, you really do need to take it. Uh, I mean, the whole idea of filling the feed gap is to get that crop in the ground early and established and make use of it so that we can...
0: Jim, we talk sell about filling... our, fill our
1: and we've got that feed.
0: Jim, we... Talk about filling the winter feed gap and that's one of the benefits of having grazing crops but how else can grazing crops help with production? Jim we talk about filling the winter feed gap as being one of the major benefits to um, livestock. How else can grazing crops help with production?
1: Yeah the the grazing crops really fit well with a mixed farming enterprise Fiona. They they help to increase our our winter carrying capacity and stocking rates um, allowing us to potentially reach heavier weights for certain livestock faster growth rates or or, um, and heavier weights there's also that wonderful opportunity that might arise occasionally where we get to do trade or adjustment um, you know take on extra livestock to finish at you know pretty good returns Uh, there's also opportunities if we can get into the you know, a good system where we're, we might consider increasing our stocking rate earlier in the year with earlier lambings. Um, more ewes, more lambs, more kilograms per hectare. Uh, there's a big bunch of economic benefits as well. So setting up a, you know, a paddock for a prairie or pasture, we might consider two to three years of, of potential grazing crops, you know, grazing canola, grazing cereals, Grazing canola again, and then back into a, a perennial pasture. Um, you know, and then then there's all the the agronomic stuff. You know, the the disease management, um, delay fla- delaying flowering by grazing, reducing frost risk. Um, you know, dealing with stubbles and and whatnot. So, yeah, there's a whole whole other stack of extra benefits to the uh, to the system on the farm.
0: And Jimby. Cause they do obviously cost a fair bit to get in the ground and get up and going. There's, they obviously are pretty productive, but how much feed can they actually produce?
1: Yeah, the, the cost depending on your location, you know, you're looking at possibly, you know, three to $400 a hectare, uh, maybe more this year with high fertilizer costs. But ideally we're aiming at basically paying for the, the crop establishment um, through through the grazing. So. You know, thousands of kilograms of, of foo is, you know, over a thousand kilograms of foo or, or DSE grazing days per hectare um, would be achievable. Um, this year, you know, depending on where you are, but locally, you know, we're in the, the very high rainfall <laughs> decile so far and the, and the growth rates and production are, are off the chart. So, you know, high stocking rates, 25, 35 DSEs per hectare for potentially, you know, a month and a half two months would be what we're looking at achieving Fiona.
0: yeah it's fantastic especially at a time of the year when our stocking rates are so much lower because of the slower growth during winter how important is it to measure the amount of food on offer or foo as you just mentioned
1: yeah food on offer or or dry matter kilograms of dry matter per hectare uh, sets sets us up for a feed budget it sets us up with a, an idea of what we've got uh, what we're planning to grow, so we've got to have a bit of an idea of what we expect to grow off a hectare or a hundred hectares or a thousand hectares depending on how much you're putting in of this stuff um, you've got to have an idea of consumption you've got to have an idea of um you know how many <laughs> how many livestock you've got that are going to be consuming a given amount of of uh, food, as well as the um, uh, growth rate expected growth rate of those different crops at different times through autumn and into early winter so uh, currently you know 40s to 60 kilograms per hectare it would be achievable quite easily at the moment and that will slow up more like 25 to 30 as we get down into the early um, winter you know in June when the day length and temperature um, shortens right up
0: and how hard is it to make all those measurements are there resources available to help growers with the calculations you've just mentioned
1: uh there's a few ready reckoners that uh, GRDC and Grain and Graze have, have available and that their website's full of these um, resources so i'd encourage uh, listeners to to go and check out the Grain and Graze websites uh, anybody who's done pro-graze or lifetime year management the, the you know the calculations or the steps you go through to calculate dry matter are pretty much the, the same. So, you know, calculating a, a wet weight, dry weight, dry matter percentage, um, scaling the, that up to a per hectare per hectare amount is is the steps that you go through. So, I guess the the same principles apply to pastures as they do to grazing crops.
0: When can you start to grain, graze them after you establish these crops and how hard can you, can you chuck a whole heap of animals on and go pretty hard at it?
1: You can uh, go hard, go early. That's the that's the sort of researcher's feedback. Um, obviously, we've got to with, allow for certain crop maturity with canolas. We don't want to put the livestock on too early. Uh, they might get some metabolic uh, nitrate issues. Uh, we've got to make sure that the crop is Is anchored we're hoping for a good even germination the crops anchored to the soil nicely so that when grazing animals you know bite it and chew it it they don't pull it up and watch it die Uh, (laughs) we do we do need to make sure that's that's happened but yeah you're looking at around um, you know eight eight to ten weeks probably about eight weeks yeah
0: and when we're grazing, um, the grazing withholding periods that you have with your herbicides and chemicals you're using, should how much of a consideration is this going to be when we're grazing these
1: shorter crops? Oh, good, good point and I'm glad you raised it. The withholding periods and, and export slaughter intervals, um, ESIs tend to be a little bit longer than withholding periods, but um, you do need to be aware of what's on the, the product labels. Check it out with your qualified advisor, your agronomist, your resellers. Make sure that you understand some of these products do have, you know, considerably long withholding periods. Some of those seed dressings um, you know, they're pretty effective at keeping the the insects away and the fungicides away for a good reason. It's because they're um, they're, they're they're loaded up. So yeah, it's it's your responsibility to make sure that uh, livestock don't go out and graze these crops and pastures within these withholding periods.
0: Jim you spoke earlier in the podcast about the importance of getting an even establishment once it's up and established it's I'm assuming it's quite important that you graze it quite evenly too is this correct?
1: Correct yeah yeah if we we don't um, put sufficient grazing pressure on there well the livestock will find a nice a nice spot in the paddock and, and hammer the hell out of that area and lead the rest of the paddock to, to run up to head and and all of a sudden you've got very uneven maturity occurring across your paddock. Uh, we'd have selective grazing happening um, you know there's a degree of spoilage that's going to occur uh, we've we pretty much got to have an even grazing across that paddock where even the the, the parts of the of the crop that have been sort of urinated on or defecated on or or spoiled also get um, checked back to the same level as the grazed parts of the paddock too. So yeah, having a having a, a feed budget that understands the residual foo or residual dry matter level uh, to be pegged back to is really important to understand, to make sure crop maturity is is even.
0: When we're grazing these crops, does how we graze it now, does that have any impact on the potential yield down the track? Do do we harm what we're going to get out of it from later on, or do we benefit
1: it? Uh, The GRDC, Grain and Graze Research, indicates there are some trials that benefited from grazing uh, considerably, and there are also a lot of trials where, you know, with heavy grazing, that was detrimental to uh, grain yield which is probably fair enough, but what they've, out of those, um, that trial work, they've, they've understood that growth stage is more important than um, how much residual dry matter is left behind. So so pulling up that grazing, if you're looking to maximise grain yield at, at growth stage 31, um, that's just when the, the embryo starts to push its way up into that bite zone of the sheep uh, that's that's about the time where the sheep have got to be off the paddock if you want to maximize your your yield but you can also you know you might d- delay moving the livestock off the paddock if you can see more more value in the, finishing those trade lambs or finishing those lambs to heavier weights so you does need to be taken into consideration
0: and getting that right and also getting your even graze right how do we then? Obviously, stocking rates going to be fundamental to achieving that. How do we get our stocking rate right?
1: Yeah, good question. Uh, again, it comes down to our, our fodder budgeting. You know, using those metrics we described earlier, uh, understanding that it, at that certain growth stage, it's you know, if we want to get maximum yield, we've got to get our stock off that paddock. Um, th- that therefore means we've got to have another paddock somewhere else for those stock to go if we want to keep them on. But, uh, GADC and Grain and Graze, they've got some really good calculators there that will determine your stocking rate or the number of grazing days for a given mob size on a given area. Um, There's some really useful tools that help you, you know, get close to that mark, but that's no substitute for, you know, eyes and eyes and feet in the paddock, Fiona.
0: Yeah, and the feed intake when the animal's starting to eat and they go on, I think you said, eight to 10 weeks, is it the feed intake of stock on these crops similar to a really good improved pasture, say?
1: Uh, probably better. Because of the growth habit and the digestibility of the feed that we've got in front of the livestock, uh, intake is is really high. However, um, spoilage can also be quite high if we've got very high stocking rates. Like we're talking, you know, 25 35 um, you know, lam- lambs per hectare or or head per- DSCs per hectare. Um, you might go higher for a shorter period. So, you know, in- intake will be quite high. Um, performance will be very good, provided we get other factors uh, corrected.
0: Yeah, I'd like to move on to that next. So that was a great lead-in for me. Thanks for that. (laughs) What are the factors that will be limiting the animal performance when they're on the grazing crops?
1: Well, the big one essentially is obviously a mineral deficiency. So that's going to be a magnesium and sodium imbalance. Because cereal crops are very high in potassium, that limits the absorption of minerals such as calcium and magnesium to the animal essential for uh, muscle function and growth. So yes, yeah, so significant um, growth rate improvements have been observed or, or uh, demonstrated by making those mineral supplements available to to growing stock on, uh, as well as pregnant stock and lactating stock performance is much better when those minerals are available compared to, to NIL supplement grazing cereals. For our grazing canolas, not so much of an issue so provided we get you know worms worms are out of the way Um, yet the weather factor can always you know compromise growth the dry matter percentage can also be uh, rather low (laughs) a lot of water not a lot of dry matter so you've got to take that into consideration
0: and would you put hay out then on pasture uh, when they're on the grazing crops sorry to help with that
1: uh no no i think if you're looking for a livestock performance you're looking for you know feed in turning it into you know high quality feed in turning it into product what's left over is excreted as as feces so you know by compromising or substituting all we're really doing is is slowing down growth rate um yeah throwing throwing a bale of straw into uh a, a, a paddock trying to improve growth rate yeah may not be the best thing to do but it might be a best thing to do in terms of uh, the animals craving a bit of fibre and stop them ring barking your trees that's probably a better a better reason why you put fibre in there and roughage and hay
0: and Jim you mentioned before the importance of getting your mineral supplements right to I guess um, reduce any side effects from limiting on animal performance what ratios should you be using is there a standard to go by
1: yeah, yes yes, Fiona, there was work done by CSIRO years ago through the Grain and Graze project, Murrumbidgee Grain and Graze project. It indicated livestock performance could be increased by 54% growth rate um, with a ratio of salt, lime and cause mag of two, two and one by volume. Um, fairly cheap, readily available. There are obviously proprietary blends of similar mineral ratios. Um, the return on investment certainly there to justify the use of those uh, mineral supplements in the, in the loose-lick form for improving growth rate on those, on those cereal crops. Not so, much so necessary, um, not so much necessary on grazing canolas.
0: And Jim, changing an animal's diet at any stage can be rather problematic. Do we need to use some sort of an adjustment appearance period when we're putting them onto these grazing crops to let their rumens um adjust to the new diet
1: yeah good question fiona yeah that's that's quite right and we've seen that with animal performance there is a lag period you know two weeks generally by the time the animals go on there before they actually start growing again so that adjustment period will take um, you know 10 to 14 days for that rumen microflora to adjust to a what's basically a high octane, highly digestible, high energy, um, high protein diet. Um, unless they've come from the same pasture or onto the same pasture, you can't expect them to, to take off. So that's why it's important to keep our growing stock sort of on that pasture for you know four to six weeks at least after that initial adjustment phase. There's not much point putting them in for two weeks saying, oh, they didn't grow at all. I'm taking them off, put them back on pasture. Uh, you've, got to, you've got to allow them time to adjust.
0: And if we get it all right, and it's looking like a cracking season this year, what growth rates would we expect?
1: Well, uh, for, for growing stocks, so crossbred lambs, um, second-cross lambs, you know, you'd be potentially up towards that 250 grams per head per day. Merinos might be 150 to 200, depending on their you know, sort of growth potential, Um, certainly, you know, you put these numbers into grass feed, the the tool that we sort of all use for, um, all the advisors use for sort of forecasting potential growth rates. Well, uh, there's there's very little limiting potential production from high quality grazing crops.
0: Jim, just before we finish up, I'd like to spend a little bit now on... um, Sheep animal health and any metabolic conditions they might have. I'd like to start first on nitrate poisoning, which we spoke about as being a problem in sheep in our webinar that we recorded last week at Sheep Connect.
1: Yeah, nitrate poisoning um, gets a lot of press. It gets a lot of talk uh, from from district veterinarians. I guess certainly when you put cows out onto a paddock and the seers start dying of nitrate, it's like. Um, well, you know, you're throwing away a lot of big bucks there. Probably the difference between sheep and cattle is their grazing behaviour, and it's the the location in the plants where nitrate accumulates is where sheep tend to stay away from, as in they pick and nibble at the leaves, whereas the cattle sort of grab a great big, you know, mouthful of stems and petioles, and that's where the nitrate is is accumulating. So. Sheep, a little bit more tolerant, a little bit more capable of processing nitrates, a little bit more selective in their grazing behaviour. Didn't see issues with sheep grazing um, very high nitrate testing um, cereal crops last year as a result of carryover and from the drought. So, yeah, it's it's a tricky one. I know. You know some of the feed tests i've I've seen the sheep should all be dead, but they're not, so yeah it's it's a good thing to have these sheep um in the system if we do have nitrates cattle a lot more susceptible
0: and Jim, with the animal health um problems and considerations, metabolic conditions, can we start with the lambs first? What should growers be mindful of when they're putting their lambs on these crops?
1: Ah uh, well, cereal crops definitely um you know that calcium deficiency could lead on to um, uh, vitamin D deficiencies. converting that uh, calcium uh, overcast weather can be a contributor to that as well. So you know we need sunlight to to convert the vitamin D to absorb the calcium um, these wheat crops very low in calcium. so that's why that mineral supplements pretty pretty critical for our growing stock rickets uh, brittle bones that's the sort of uh, issues that the growing stock would experience Um, pregnant ewes late pregnant ewes uh, lactating ewes yes we could we could see incidences of grass tetany milk fever Um, if we let those sort of milk fever and grass tetanies do their job, well that can also induce a a lack of appetite and therefore induce pregnancy toxemia, a lack of energy. Um, uh, There's also gonna be issues with smooth muscle function related to magnesium uh, as well. So that could impact on on lambing difficulties and and dystochias. So yeah, there are a lot of metabolic uh, knock-on effects that that occur Uh, if we get our management right you know months ahead of the planned use of our grazing crops we should be able to avoid a lot of these instances
0: and the message that keeps coming through here for me is supplement 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 with your
1: minerals. yeah the right the right the right supplement uh, in the right place at the right time so that might mean in, in a in a dry year where the use have been in a in a containment lot for you know a drought lot containment area for a few months over summer Uh, getting grain well we should be supplementing them with limestone during that phase Uh, not just you know trotting out the supplement the day after we put them in the paddock on the grazing crop that's not when we should be giving them supplement Um, Yeah, they should be on that supplement you know mid-pregnancy onwards they should be um, used to it they should be um, familiar with it Uh, we don't want to be trying to fix the problem i.e hypocalcemia or grass tetany, uh, pregnancy toxemia when we see that problem. We can't fix that problem with, you know, mineral supplement.
0: And, Jim, just to finish off, can we have a li- just talk a little bit about livestock suitability? So we've spoken about the um, potential risks of pregnant land taking ewes and our lambs. But uh, these crops are obviously suitable for all livestock classes?
1: Uh, in my opinion, yes, they are. Uh, I, I've, I think they have a wonderful fit to our mixed farming enterprises. If you get your management right, your, your supplementation with uh, mineral imbalances uh, correct, you can, you know, you can quite easily have pregnant ewes on these on the grazing crops. You can have late pregnant and, and lactating uh, lambing ewes um, on them. I think that, you know, in terms of providing a level of foo, a level of energy um, for a you know successful parturition birth process uh, should be very good setting them up for lactation on these on these grazing crops should be excellent. The growth rates from uh, merino lambs or trade crossbreds are right up there so yeah, they do have certainly has a fit. just need to be cautious that. You know canola two foot high is not going to make for a great lambing paddock the the chances of miss mothering in that sort of environment are going to be pretty high.
0: Well Jim it's certainly pretty exciting times for people who have their crops in the ground this year and they've already got establishment if they have been out of the flood zones they've certainly um, set themselves up brilliantly to utilise some really great feed.
1: That's right Fiona it's been a uh, I guess <laughs> A good season for those that were ready to go and they took that gamble early. It was a bit risky, but um, to, you know, to already be around the district seeing crops 30 centimetres a foot high, you know, weeks off being grazed, it's it's great. It's not too late for the, for others. I think you know, late late March, uh, people are trying to get active out there and, and sow some early um, dual purpose grazing crops. It, it won't be too late for them. Uh, the pasture growth. Maybe it's a time just to rejig just how much grazing crop you do put in because uh, our pastures are really going to be jumping out of the ground too as a result of our nice, mild autumn and excellent rainfall. So good luck to everyone um, this autumn and winter, and I hope you set yourselves up for a successful lambing period or growth period on these crops. Good
0: luck. Yeah, exciting times. Thanks, Jim, for joining us on It's Time for You.
1: Pleasure, Fiona. Talk to you next time.
0: We hope you have enjoyed this episode of It's Time For You, the Sheep Connect New South Wales podcast. We'd appreciate it if you could share our podcast within your networks. And if you haven't done so already, subscribe to the AWI podcast, The Yarn. We'd love you to stay in contact with Sheep Connect New South Wales, and you can do this in a number of ways. Join our network by visiting www.sheepconnectnewsouthwales.com.au find us at sheep new south wales on facebook and twitter we look forward to seeing you at our workshops and events later in the year thanks again for joining us today bye for now